Thank you for calling SAG-AFTRA. If you are calling regarding an emergency on set or to report sexual harassment, assault, or discrimination, press 1. SAG-AFTRA President Fran Drescher. We are the victims here. We are being victimized by a very greedy entity. It's a very serious thing. Why was it important for you to be out here today and to bring your plushie? Well, I actually came up with the idea for the Pick It With A Plushie Day because I saw the article about Fran bringing a small heart-shaped plushie into the room and that people were taken back by it or maybe they thought it was eccentric or unprofessional. We will not allow you to take away our dignity! Your call cannot be completed as dialed. Over to George Clooney now as he weighs in on the Hollywood strike and calling for resolution. I think a lot of the actors who have been very successful over time have been pitching in to try and make sure that we're part of the solution and not part of the problem. I think we're going to get through this soon. I'm Gumby, damn it. I feel as if everybody understands that it's time to get on with it. I'm Gumby, damn it. All right, people, let's go. Welcome to episode three of Thousands of Tiny Tyrants, the Mostly Movies podcast. I'm your host, James Harker. If you haven't already listened to my first two episodes, please check them out when you finish listening to this show. As I record this, the AMPTP has delivered the studios and streamers' last, best, and final offer to Screen Actors Guild negotiators. And just as the WGA and AMPTP returned to the bargaining table after the WGA's powerful producers and showrunners called a meeting with WGA leadership, SAG-AFTRA resumed negotiating only after several of SAG's most powerful member producers and production company owners met with SAG President Fran Drescher and National Executive Director Duncan Crabtree Ireland to express their concerns and apply pressure on Guild leadership. According to The Hollywood Reporter on October 24th, quote, Last week, a group that included Ben Affleck, Jennifer Aniston, George Clooney, Bradley Cooper, Robert De Niro, Laura Dern, Scarlett Johansson, Tyler Perry, Jennifer Lopez, Ryan Reynolds, Emma Stone, Meryl Streep, Kerry Washington, and Reese Witherspoon grew increasingly alarmed and frustrated as to whether union negotiators were doing everything they could to reach a deal and decided to present a united front. These major union members held several Zoom meetings with SAG-AFTRA leaders Crabtree Ireland and President Fran Drescher to discuss getting back to the table. Some had already had one-on-one conversations with union leaders but decided to go a step further and work together to attempt to break through the stalemate, unquote. If you listen to the first two episodes of this show, you know that unions aren't supposed to have, quote, major union members, unquote. And that in spite of union leaders' increasingly desperate attempts to deny it, the reality is that Hollywood's guilds are ruled by the stars. Or maybe by SAG President Fran Drescher's plushie toy, which I'm pretty sure doesn't have a family to feed. The Hollywood Reporter article continues, quote, Before talks had broken off, sources say the four studio CEOs who attended SAG-AFTRA's negotiations had been taken aback by Drescher's negotiating style, which involved bringing a doll a heart-shaped plush toy with a smiley face, and saying Buddhist inspirational quotes. She also alarmed the CEOs when she proclaimed, I don't care if we are here for a year, in order to achieve the union's ends, unquote. Variety is also reported on the SAG after presidents, shall we say, unorthodox negotiating tactics. 
Quote, stories about Drescher's doll have been a hot topic around Hollywood for weeks. One spy told us that Drescher had been carrying around a Furby, even planting it in front of studio heads at the negotiating table and saying, my Furby is watching you. Unquote. It's easy to understand why George Clooney and the members of his star chamber are alarmed and frustrated. What's difficult to understand is why the Guild's minor members, who unlike Tyler Perry and Robert De Niro are not multimillionaires, haven't expressed more concern. I suppose it may have something to do with the fact that SAG represents actors and that right now they've all been cast to appear in the role of helpless victims of studio and streamer greed banding together in solidarity. And I suppose that these so-called minor actors will continue to perform until SAG after leaders call a rap. And I suppose Hollywood oligarchs like Bradley Cooper, Ben Affleck, and Jennifer Lopez will continue to fret self-servingly over the interruption these strikes have been to the empire building that their incestuous presence on both sides of the union versus studio bargaining table normally protects. I don't know what you are talking about. I, this is the craziest, the most insane thing. Stop it! Who is she? And don't give me that crap about your sister because you don't have a sister. I'll tell you, I'll tell you the truth. She's my daughter. I said I want the truth. She's my sister. She's my daughter. My sister, my daughter. I said I want the truth. No. She's my sister and my daughter. But what I want to talk about today is not the infiltration of SAG, AFTRA, and other showbiz unions by A-list talent who are also producers. I've already said a lot about that in episodes one and two, which I encourage you to listen to if you haven't already. What I want to talk about is the reputed $50 million offer George Clooney and other A-listers made to SAG, AFTRA. What their offer reveals about those stars' understandings of what a union is the misrepresentations that SAG-AFTRA made to its members about the offer, and how Clooney and company's offer could have been used, and still can be used, to improve the incomes of Hollywood's minor guild members, the 160,000 rank-and-file and background actors that make SAG-AFTRA a legitimate union. What Clooney and company so controversially suggested was that SAG eliminate the guild's cap on the amount of actors' earnings that are subject to union dues deductions. Currently, actors pay what are known as working dues of 1.575% on up to $1 million of their annual earnings. Earnings over $1 million are not subject to the dues deduction. Although a precise figure can only be guessed at, Clooney and Company's plan would have brought millions of dollars into SAG-AFTRA's coffers. But, significantly, that money would not necessarily have gone to Guild members. Rather, the millions of dollars in this A-list actor dues windfall would have gone into SAG-AFTRA's deep pockets. Let me give you a sense of the amount of dues the Guild already collects with the $1 million cap in place. In a mandatory filing with the U.S. Department of Labor, what is known as an LM2 report, SAG-AFTRA reported collecting more than $126 million in membership dues in the 12 months between May 1, 2022 and April 30, 2023. That's not chump change. 
But if George Clooney is right, his plan would increase SAG-AFTRA's annual income by almost 40 percent. But SAG-AFTRA leaders rejected the Clooney and company offer. Fran Drescher said it was, quote, kind of apples and oranges that does not impact the contract that we're striking over whatsoever, unquote. What Fran Drescher said is about 25 percent right. The part Drescher got right is that the dues paid by actors have nothing to do with the studios or the AMPTP or the contract. But the fact is, the Clooney and Company's offer was intended as a substitute for SAG-AFTRA's revised demand related to streaming revenue sharing. Simply put, with its streaming revenue plan, which is the plan Clooney and Company attempted to subvert, the Guild is asking that the streamers pay $0.57 for each streaming subscriber into a special fund that SAG-AFTRA leaders and management will decide how to distribute. The Hollywood Reporter ran a story about SAG-AFTRA's unprecedented demand on October 20th. Quote, The Ask, a revised version of a previous revenue-sharing proposal that the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers had rejected, prompted hyperbolic remarks on both sides. A bridge too far, said Netflix co-CEO Ted Sarandis. While SAG-AFTRA's chief negotiator conversely deemed the adjusted proposal a huge, huge concession. The studios claim the proposal would cost more than $800 million per year, while the union fired back that the aforementioned estimate was intentionally misrepresented by the companies and overestimated by 60 percent, unquote. But here's the detail in SAG-AFTRA's proposal that links it to the A-listers' dues increase proposal. From The Hollywood Reporter again, quote, the money generated by this arrangement would then go into a fund managed by representatives from both SAG-AFTRA and management, whose trustees would determine how to distribute the funds. It's still to be determined whether viewership metrics would play a role in that distribution and which performers would be eligible to receive payment from the fund, which would be subject to negotiation, unquote. So Clooney and company's proposal was directly related to the contract. It wasn't apples and oranges, as Drescher suggested. The A-lister's proposal was an obvious attempt to persuade SAG-AFTRA negotiators to back away from their streaming revenue fund proposal by offering to pay the bill themselves on behalf of the studios and streamers. Freddy, it's a negotiation. See you at the preliminary. Freddy, we're all friends here. It's a negotiation. Hey, uh, ready? Fine. We'll eat the pastry. I think very few people realize how remarkable Clooney's and the other wealthy guild members offer to pick up the subscriber revenue sharing bill for the studios and streamers was in the world of labor relations. The most insightful comment on the A-list performer's proposal was made by voice actress Alexandra Ryan, who was interviewed for the Rap.com on a picket line outside Paramount Studios. Ms. Ryan said, quote, I think the idea of raising the cap for that level of entertainer is an incredible idea. I totally agree with it. I think that it's a sidestep to what we're trying to do right now. And I also think that there's a bit of an inadvertent union busting to the proposal. Unquote. 
Bravo, Alexandra Ryan. Clooney and company's proposal was an undeniable attempt to undermine the union's efforts on behalf of its thousands of nameless members. It was also an offer of aid to the studios and the AMPTP. More to the point, the proposal was an attempt, presumably a well-meaning if misguided attempt, to bribe SAG-AFTRA leaders by offering the union millions of dollars to be used as the leadership sees fit, but at the expense of rank-and-file actors who, in all likelihood, won't get to use that money to pay their rent or to feed themselves and their families. In a letter to SAG-AFTRA members sent on October 19th, the Guild's negotiating committee had this to say about Clooney and Company's offer. Quote, We're grateful that a few of our most successful members have engaged to offer ideas and support. Beyond donating extraordinary sums of money to the SAG-AFTRA Foundation in support of members during the strike, these influential individuals have sought to offer suggestions, in particular with regard to our streaming sharing proposal and the AMPTP's characterization that we are asking for too much. They have contemplated increasing the amount of money that the highest earners contribute to the union via raising their dues. This generous concept is worthy of consideration, but it is also in no way related to and would have no bearing on this present contract or even as a subject of collective bargaining. It is, in fact, prohibited by federal law. For example, our pension and health plans are funded exclusively from employer contributions, unquote. The letter continues, quote, The fact that the heads of the networks, streaming companies, and studios are open to communicating with them directly is great, but the executives should not for one second think that they can use the goodwill of member emissaries to distract us from our mission, unquote. From the perspective of any union outside of Hollywood, the fact that, quote, member emissaries, unquote, are going around the union and negotiating directly with employers would be cause for outrage. In fact, it is that that is a violation of federal labor law. Specifically, it's a violation of Section 8A5 of the National Labor Relations Act because the NLRA bars employers from what is called direct dealing with union members. What the studios and streamers did with Clooney and other A-listers is black-letter law illegal. But rather than condemn this illegal direct dealing, SAG-AFTRA leaders praised the misconduct. To quote again, The fact that the heads of the networks, streaming companies, and studios are open to communicating with influential guild members directly is great, unquote. Great, illegal, let's not split hairs. Let me tell you. If a bunch of union pipefitters or steelworkers or teamsters went around their union and met privately with an employer to discuss contract negotiations, there would be hell to pay. But not so in Hollywood, where laws don't matter because cinematic immunity is always in effect. The fact is, if SAG-AFTRA wished to do so, the Guild could file an unfair labor practice charge with the National Labor Relations Board against the studios that bargained with Clooney and company. And SAG-AFTRA could discipline the A-list actor-producers who attempted to undermine the Guild's labor action with what was effectively a bribe. What do you want? What do I want? I want more. All right. I'm going to make it easy. Let's make it five. 
five and I'll forget about Arthur. Five is easier. Yeah, five is something we, we could talk about. Good. And then the other five is to forget about the 468 people that you knocked off with your weed killer. Let me finish up this meeting. I'll talk to Do Bob. I look like I'm negotiating? Clooney and company could be disciplined for what actress Alexandra Ryan rightly labeled union busting. But Duncan Crabtree Ireland, SAG AFTRA's $1 million per year national executive director and chief negotiator, won't do that. Why not? Because Duncan Crabtree Ireland knows that after decades of the Guild allowing A-list members and their talent agents to directly deal with the studios has probably undermined those federal legal protections. And for that reason, the NLRB is likely to dismiss such a charge. But I suspect the primary reason is that Crabtree Ireland knows any attempt by the guild he runs to bring its major members into line, or frankly, to just increase the dues threshold, would risk incentivizing SAG-AFTRA's wealthiest member producers to withdraw from the guild. Some of you will recall when I discussed in episode one of this podcast, Bambi Meets Godzilla, that it is nearly impossible to work in Hollywood without a union card. As one producer put it to me, in the motion picture industry, a union card is a right-to-work card. But Tyler Perry, Matt Damon, George Clooney, Reese Witherspoon, Tom Cruise, as well as scores or even hundreds of other actors don't need a sag after a right-to-work-in-the-movie-business card. These A-listers and successful, sought-after actors, writers, directors, and producers like them don't need these unions anymore. The unions need them. It isn't clear why Duncan Crabtree Ireland and the SAG Negotiating Committee told members that Clooney and Company's plan to raise dues on wealthy members, quote, is in fact prohibited by federal law, unquote. For the record, I don't believe the celebrity actor's proposal is illegal. Looking for answers, I tweeted a message to SAG-AFTRA on X, and I also sent an email to SAG-AFTRA National Headquarters asking the Guild to clarify what federal law the A-listers offer violated and why. Eventually, I called SAG-AFTRA's legal affairs office. A short time later, I received a call from David Gregoire, SAG-AFTRA Assistant General Counsel. Mr. Gregoire, citing attorney-client privilege, said he was not at liberty to comment on the Guild's assertions regarding the legality of Clooney and Company's proposal. But he did say that the Guild's email to members on the issue was, quote, carefully crafted, unquote. And he suggested I contact SAG after his press office for further comment. I emailed my questions directly to Pamela Greenwalt, sag AFTRA Chief Communications and Marketing Officer, who has not yet responded. While I waited to hear more from SAG-AFTRA, I contacted and spoke with agents at both the National Labor Relations Board and the U.S. Department of Labor's Office of Labor Management Standards. After reviewing SAG-AFTRA's email, the NLRB agent concluded that the matter was not related to the National Labor Relations Act, which is the federal law that established the NLRB and that its agents exclusively enforce. OLMS, the Office of Labor Management Standards, is also responsible for enforcing federal labor law, specifically the Labor Management Reporting and Disclosure Act of 1959. According to its website, quote, OLMS promotes union democracy, protects union assets, advances labor management transparency, and highlights the important role unions play in the modern American economy, unquote. 
OLMS investigates union election complaints, makes available online thousands of mandatory reports about union income and assets, as well as union officer and employee earnings, including payments to union officers and employees by contract signatory companies. These LM30 and LM10 conflict of interest reports that virtually every Hollywood union official fails to file are a very important subject I'll be covering in a future podcast. But for now, OLMS investigates Complaints regarding embezzlement of union funds that, if founded, are criminally prosecuted in federal court by the Justice Department. IATSE, the International Alliance of Theatrical and Stage Employees, has a lot of embezzlement problems that the DOGA has dealt with, but that, too, is for another podcast. But what really matters for us today is that OLMS also enforces laws related to internal union operations, including union policies on dues deductions. The OLMS agent I spoke with told me he had heard about Clooney and Company's offer, but that he hadn't read any news reports or the sag after email addressing the matter. After locating the negotiating committee's email online and reading it, the OLMS agent told me that he had no idea what law the sag after leaders might be referring to, and that he was not aware of any federal law or regulation that would bar sag after from lifting the cap on the high earners' dues payments. In fact, the OLMS attorney agreed with me that the paragraph in the email addressing the star actor's offer, federal law, the contract, and pension and health plans didn't make much sense at all. So what's going on here? It's pretty clear that SAG-AFTRA's muddled and half-baked response to Clooney and Company's offer was little more than pablum for the Guild's impassioned and chronically misinformed members, and for the compliant stenographers in the Hollywood press who as they have done since the WGA strike began six savings account crushing months ago, simply nod their bobbleheads as day after day, month after month, in perfect harmony with the unions they, the Hollywood press, decry the greed of the big bad studios as the picketing strikers applaud. Well, one giant difference between now and 2008 that I, I noticed on the first day was the media coverage was so different. Um, in 2007, 2008, I did not feel that the media was with us at all. And this time I felt like the media was completely with us. I've been involved in a lot of Guild actions, but I was shocked by the press coverage, like completely shocked. You're absolutely right. I don't think the companies had any expectation of that either. I think they were shocked by it too. But what else did Fran Drescher and Duncan Crabtree Ireland and the SAG after negotiating committee get wrong about the A-listers proposal? The fact is that George Clooney and Scarlett Johansson and Meryl Streep and the other fat cat stars were on to something, even if they don't quite understand what. And SAG after national director Duncan Crabtree Ireland, an experienced labor attorney, knows this. But instead of seizing on the A-lister's offer and crafting a proposal that could increase the earnings of SAG's minor members, Crabtree Ireland and Fran Drescher chose to mislead Guild membership and the public about the legality and significance of Clooney and Company's unprecedented multi-million dollar offer. You see, under federal law, unions and guilds have extraordinarily broad authority to make rules for their members. There is virtually no area of a union member's life, both inside and outside the workplace, over which a union cannot rule if it chooses to do so. The deeply flawed rationale the United States Congress and the enforcement agencies Congress created used to justify the unions and guilds' carte blanche authority is based on the assumption that unions operate as democracies, and that for this reason, 
it is assumed that union members make rules for themselves. And if union leaders make rules the membership doesn't like, members will demand those rules be changed or elect new leaders. As an NLRB attorney in Brooklyn put it to me when I filed the first of several unfair labor practice charges against my union at the time, Local 52 IATSE, quote, we can't make your union not suck. Unions are democracies. You need to do that, unquote. I'm not going to break down the absurdity of the unions or democracies presumption right now. Any honest member of a Hollywood union can tell you that these unions are tyrannies. But if you entertain any doubts that labor organizations have authority to regulate nearly every aspect of their members' lives, you need look no further than SAG after a leadership's decision to dictate what Halloween costumes their members could and could not wear during the current strike. Here's deadline summary from October 19th. Quote, Planning on going as Barbenheimer with your significant other this Halloween? Well, if you're a sag after member, you might want to reconsider. sag after has released a guide to make sure our members don't inadvertently break strike rules. Advice includes choose costumes inspired by generalized characters, such as ghosts and zombies, and don't post photos of costumes inspired by struck content on social media. The Guild recommends dress up as characters from non-struck content, like an animated TV show, unquote. To be fair, these aren't sag after rules, they're merely guidelines. But if the Guild had chosen to make a Halloween costume rule that subjected violators to union discipline and financial penalties, they could have. And there is virtually nothing members could have done about it. Guild leadership's Halloween guidelines were subjected to significant pushback from prominent members, including former sag after President Melissa Gilbert, who posted her feelings on Instagram, calling the Guild's Halloween costume ban, quote, infantile, unquote and declaring that it made the Guild, quote, look petty and incompetent at the same time, unquote. Deadpool actor Ryan Reynolds weighed in on X, writing, quote, I look forward to screaming scab at my eight-year-old all night. She's not in the union, but she needs to learn, unquote. In response, sag after sent an email clarification to members stating that the ban does not apply to anyone's kids. Oh, brilliant. Even the sag after members over at Saturday Night Live took a swipe at the costume ban. Look at this. Don't you all look so cute? I think we might have to break out the king size bars for this bunch. Kids, wait! You're about to make a terrible mistake! Who are you? I'm Fran Drescher! Sag president! Wow, wow Fran Drescher, what, what are you, you doing, doing here? here? here to teach you how to do Halloween during a strike. Oh, that's right. Since the actors are on strike, the Guild asked members not to wear costumes based on movies or TV characters. Exactly. Because then we'd be promoting the companies we're striking against, which makes all of these children a bunch of adorable scabs. <laughs> Run home and change, kids, before it's too late. Thanks, Fran. <laughs> I suppose SAG members should be happy the Guild didn't order them to dress up as Fran Drescher's heart-shaped plushie toy. Surely that would have let the AMPTP and the studios know that the actors mean business. Anyway, not only are unions and guilds permitted by law to force onto their members almost any rule one can imagine, the law also authorizes unions to waive state and other legal protections to which their members would be otherwise entitled because government authorities assume that everything a union does is in the interests of its members. 
So, for example, in 2011, New York State passed the Wage Theft Protection Act. This law requires employers to provide workers with written notices of their rates of regular and overtime pay, as well as other wage-related information at the time they are hired. And employees cannot waive this right. But New York's Wage Theft Protection Act explicitly bars anyone working under a union contract that contains a grievance process from appealing to New York's Department of Labor if the law is violated. The reason? Because New York lawmakers assumed, wrongly, as you'll hear in a minute, that labor organizations fairly represent the interests of their members and would ensure that their members' rights are vindicated. So what happened when Netflix decided to pay crew members half wages for COVID test days on its New York productions as work resumed during COVID and in clear violation of both its contract with IATSE and New York's Wage Theft Protection Act? Well, on the Netflix job I worked, the shooting crew who were members of Local 52 IATSE filed a contract grievance. And as happens again and again, when Netflix labor relations refused to pay, Local 52's president at the time, John R. Ford refused to pursue the grievance procedures because, as Ford explained his decision to me in January 2021, he didn't want to sour IATSE's relationship with Netflix. Because, you see, Hollywood's union leaders don't want to upset the studios and streamers by enforcing contracts. And under law, union leaders are free to enforce or ignore the terms of their contracts with Hollywood studios. Because, as we discussed, Lawmakers assume that unions always work in the interests of their members because democracy. Anyway, the key point I want to make is that there is virtually nothing a guild or union cannot do to its members or in the interests of its members if it truly does wish to help them. And last month, George Clooney and company opened the door wide to any number of dramatic and long overdue changes to sag after rules that could improve the lives of its workaday actors. The simplest change would be to develop an action plan around the A-list star's suggestion to increase the dues paid by the Guild's richest members. The resulting multi-million dollar windfall could be used to help underemployed members in any number of ways. For example, the Guild and the AMPTP could agree to use the A-listers' dues windfall to fund insurance plans and thereby ensure more actors qualify for health benefits. No federal law or rule is standing in SAG-AFTRA's way. The only thing standing in the way is the creative and critical thinking deficit that has paralyzed SAG-AFTRA's negotiating committee. What? I need a reason. I don't say money. Why do this? Why not do it? Because a house always wins. Play long enough, you never change the stakes. The house takes you. Unless... When that perfect hand comes along, you bet big, and then you take the house. Been practicing this, Peter. A little bit. Did I rush it? Felt like I rushed it. No, it's good. I liked it. TV things for us. The Clooney and Company proposal has also opened the door to an even more game-changing move by SAG-AFTRA than the example I just mentioned. SAG-AFTRA could put a cap on its members' total compensation. I mean... Why should Screen Actors Guild member Tom Cruise make exponentially more money from a project than a less well-known Guild member? Because Tom Cruise is a star, of course. Because Tom Cruise is the reason the studios and the Cruise's production company make so much money, and Cruise should be rewarded for that. But Tom Cruise is also a member of a labor union. And what we have heard endlessly for the last six months is that the millionaire CEOs at Disney and Netflix should share the wealth. 
So why shouldn't the Millionaire Guild members share their wealth? Doesn't Tom Cruise have a responsibility to support and work in the interest of his SAG after brothers and sisters? After all, Tom Cruise can't make a movie without them any more than the AMPTP's clients can make movies and television shows without them or without screenwriters or without assistant directors and makeup and foley artists and truck drivers and production assistants, right? Of course, it's staring everyone in the face. But here's the thing. Every one of these union and guild leaders and members insists on ignoring the elephant sitting fat and happy in the middle of the film set, but that is hiding deep in the background of these strikes. That fat, happy elephant is the A-listers, the actors, directors, and writers who are paid millions, either up front or through profit-sharing deals, and who often take more of the production budget and profits than any other individual involved in a production. SAG-AFTRA should be reining in their star talent so that at least a portion of the vast sums going to these A-list performers can be directed toward the Guild's rank-and-file members. But the Guild won't do that. Instead, SAG-AFTRA will continue to protect and serve its wealthiest members, who, in bipolar Hollywood, pretend to be members of the proletariat working class when, in reality, they are the most powerful among the producer-manager bourgeoisie. And all the while, the guilds and unions will go on demanding that the studios and streamers just print more money. But you know what? The sums available to finance motion picture projects are not infinite. And by and large, virtually every movie and television project, no matter how bankable the star talent, is a huge gamble. The reality is that every dollar that goes to Clooney and company is a dollar that won't be going to actress Alexandra Ryan and her 160,000 colleagues. Clooney and Company's income-sharing proposal has positioned SAG-AFTRA to tip the scales in Hollywood ever so slightly toward the interests of rank-and-file performers. Nothing. No law. No principle of union administration. No commandment from the motion picture and TV gods bards SAG-AFTRA from negotiating a contract and developing groundbreaking union rules that will help unemployed and underemployed actors. But the fact is that Hollywood's union and guild leaders and members lack the creativity and imaginations to forge meaningful change for themselves. Instead of innovating, Hollywood's gilded class of so-called creatives has chosen to rely on a hackneyed story about oppressed labor that they are convinced has a predictable ending. And the mind-numbing lack of imagination on the parts of Hollywood's creatives shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone who is looking for a reason to go to the cinema or for something to watch on television. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Thousands of Tiny Tyrants. If you'd like to contact me with comments or questions, or if you'd like to be a guest on the show, you can email me using the contact form on the About page of our website, tinytyrantspodcast.com. But until we meet again, may you, good people of conscience, keep the thousands of tiny tyrants at bay.